Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. Thank you all for tuning in. I've got a semi-serious, it's really serious, but it's going to be semi-serious only because we can't get it too serious or else you guys will be like all very depressed by it because it's scary, cybersecurity. So we're going to talk about cybersecurity because I want you all to be protected. I have two experts with me. I have Teresa Pache with me and she is the Senior Regulatory Compliance Analyst with the California Dental Association. Hello, Teresa. Hello. And then I have Colette Johnson, who is a senior claims representative with TDIC, which is the dentist insurance company. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. All right. Well, welcome, Colette. Thank you Thank for coming. You. Yeah. So we have um, a lot to talk about. It is uh, Cybersecurity Awareness Month, October. So every every year we're going to make sure that we talk about these types of things. One issue that comes up when I teach my management classes and we talk about things that can kind of broadside us. Cybersecurity, ransomware, that type of thing always comes up and there's this incredulous look in people's eyes like, well, that's something that happens to big companies. That's not going to happen to me, but, but it does happen. Teresa, what do you hear over at the CDA? It does happen. It doesn't matter what size you are. If you're vulnerable, these folks will see it and they will take advantage. A lot of times they don't know who you are or what you are. They simply see a vulnerability in your system. Understand that they're just out there on the web. They're just looking around, poking around, and if they see a vulnerability, they'll do that. The other way some of these folks get in, these folks with malicious intent, is through phishing, right? Phishing is one of the most common vectors for cyber attacks. And phishing takes advantage of human behavior. Usually you hear about phishing email. Now these are all things that an individual can prevent if they took action by recognizing what a phishing email looks like. There are other types of phishing as well. Just last week, CDA employees were educated on something called vishing, which is voice phishing. Someone (laughs) pretending to be somebody else and uh, collecting credentials and then later on being able to use that information to hack into a system. And I've heard of that as well because there are actually YouTube videos on how that's done. So there are some things that individuals can do to protect their information, but can also protect a dental practice's information. And let's face it, patient information is the most valuable asset a dental practice can have. Why would you risk it? Mm -hmm. Why would you not take steps to protect that information? And some of it is just very basic education. And then there are some other things that also can be done. She's already scaring me. Colette, help me. <laughs> help me. Help me not be so scared. So the phishing, the phishing is when they click on a link and it looks like a totally legit link, right? And they actually Correct. look 
very good. Like you have to really search for the typo or the strange font that they'll use. Um, now, Colette, you were sharing with me that it it's a very simple like human behavior. You even had a family member that was almost, Correct. you know, it was a scary thing for them. So when do you get the call? Is it, it's too late probably, right? Correct. It is too late. Once the claims department gets the call, the action has already taken place. And it comes down to training uh, to be careful of what you're looking at. Look at where the sender is coming from. And it's easy to do because our eye sees what it wants to see at times. Mm -hmm. So they can change an eye to a one and your eye will look at it and say, that's an I instead of a one, and it's coming from a different place. So it's so, very easy to do. So you're telling me that the email that I got this morning from Chris Hemsworth, it actually came from Chris Hemsworth, and it was a bad email. Is that what you're telling me? I need more to be more likely. careful. Oh, yes. you're killing me, Colette. All right, you're killing me. <laughs> All right. So, Teresa, tell me a little bit about the HR prep that you can do? I mean, is this, this has got to be part of an SOP or an employee manual, right? Like it's got to be part of some sort of training. It should be. Okay. Um, if it isn't now, it definitely should be. Um, not only do you do training on phishing, but you also need to do reminders on not writing your password and taping it under your, your uh, keyboard or onto <laughs> your monitor you know, don't share your password with anyone. Very, very common. I, I still shudder when I hear about a dental practice where the staff all share the same password to oh, the system because yes. that's not good, especially with practice management software where you're supposed to track which individual made the notes on the record. And the only way to do that is if each person has their own sign in to the system. Everything you do on an information system should be trackable mm -hmm. um, and monitored and audited, but I'm getting too deep in the weeds. Just no. make sure everybody has their own password, mm -hmm. that they change it on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be 90 days. I know for some folks, they said change it every 90 days, but um, it doesn't have to be every 90 days, but you should change it from time to time. Um, the other step that individuals can take is um, turn on what's known as multi-factor authentication on your okay. accounts and on your systems. So typically when you go on a site, like a store or something or the bank, you do your username and password. Well, multi-factor authentication is a second level of security where you've identified that you either want to receive a text or an email with another authentication, typically a number that's sent to that uh, email or a cell phone number and that you would have to enter in. So a second okay. layer of security in order to get access to an account. But Teresa, that takes so much time and there's oh. just a few of us in the office. So do I really need all of this? Well, that, that really is up to you. How well do you want to protect your patient information? Um, Collect, you could tell she'd heard this question before, right? Exactly. She's, she's exactly. like, okay, I have, to, I have to be very kind with this answer. Okay, well, do you want to have everything come down around you? That's really the question. Right, right. 
So sorry, Teresa, I was just doing the interpretation of the the face that you made, which was very, was very empathetic, but (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) so, so the answer of course is, is that you have to do what you can to protect the practice. And that's our role as managers is to protect the practice, to protect the, the livelihood of the practice so that we can all come in the next day and have an office to take care of and to see patients. So um, talk to me a little bit, Colette, about the, the ransomwares that you've gotten. I mean, cause this is the question that I get all the time in classes. Right. What if I get a ransomware? I don't even know who to call. Who do I call to find out it's legit? Who do I click the button? I'm not supposed to click the, I'm not supposed to click the link, but how the heck am I supposed to get my information back? So what do they do? The best thing to do would be to contact your IT person um, to let them know what has happened and what's been done. Uh, Typically, it's a good thing to disconnect from the Internet after it happens. Um, I mean, you don't know how long they've been in there and what information they've gained. I don't know how much of a difference it will make. But it's it's worth trying and then to contact your IT person right away to take a look at your system and to go in and see if anything's been locked or if any information has been retrieved. Because typically you're given, you're sent an email stating that they mm-hmm. want the ransom and it could be in Bitcoin or something else uh, to pay over the computer, but you don't know, even if you pay it, whether or not you're going to get your information back, or even if you do get your information back, has it been sold anyway? Oh, so, oh, that I didn't ever even thought of that. I was just thinking I need to get my information back. You're right. It it may have already gone out the door. And so it's already compromised at that point. So with IT, and either mm-hmm. of you feel free to chime in on this with the IT companies. So I've heard a couple different things. One girl emailed me after a, a management class where we were talking about things that can happen. And she said, I called my IT person to find out what kind of protection we have. And they wanted to charge me for a scan of my system. And I'm already paying them a certain amount per month for cybersecurity. And so I thought that sounded kind of weird, but I don't know the pricing. I don't know is there a soup to nuts plan to protect themselves? Is there redundant backup plans? I mean, what, what should they talk to their IT person about before, before this happens? Well, the um, Office for Civil Rights, which enforces HIPAA, did release in the last year something known as recognized security practices. In other words, these are practices that a healthcare entity should have. Many of them are part of the HIPAA security rule, but they're looking at healthcare in general. And in the coming years, the Office for Civil Rights will start comparing what the HIPAA-covered entities are doing against these recognized security practices. In other words, are they following them and have they been following them for the past year? And some of them are very basic. Part of that is monitoring your system. You should be reviewing audit logs of your system. This is all part of HIPAA, mm-hmm. the security rule. If your IT people 
don't know what the HIPAA security rule requires, then you might want to start looking at other <laughs> IT folks. They really, I mean, all the HIPAA security rule deals with is IT security, protecting that information mm -hmm. and the procedures that should be followed. I mean, there's no guarantee that if you follow all these procedures, your information is protected, but it does show that you're doing the best you can to protect that information. It shows your intent in protecting that information. Does that then keep you from being fined as much or being fined at all? It can help mitigate that. Okay. Yes. All I right. mean, there's no absolute, you know, no guarantee of that. But if they find that you have been following these recognized security practices for at least 12 months, they will certainly mitigate any penalties, anything that the covered entity would have to do. So, yes. What about civil penalties, Colette? It does. I mean, how is that handled with your policies? Well, um, that would have to be reviewed if there was a suit that was filed. Mm -hmm. um, and you would have to look at the policy of what you purchased to see what exact coverages that you have. But there could be protection. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because I'm thinking, my goodness, when you send the letter out to the patients notifying them of the breach, and, and I want right. to talk about that, um, that whole process too, then, you know, what if you get somebody, you know, I'm in DC, it's the land of lawyers, I can imagine, you know, right. <laughs> everybody's there just having dinner and there's a lawyer right there. So <laughs> there we go with the lawsuits. So I can see that happening. Well, let me go back when you said they're going to call you for the, the breach, right? So they're, or right. when they get the notification, they'll call the IT company will then go in and take a look at how, how devastating it is basically. And then they will, decide on whether or not you should pay or not. There are instances I've heard where it's better to just not pay at all and just start from scratch. How does that factor in? I've heard both. Um, okay. I've come across ones that have paid the ransom, but then you get the information, but you know, you still don't know if that information has been sold. You, you still need to be able to protect and find out what that virus was in your system in order to stop it um, because it's still going to be there. So sometimes it's recommended to replace your server because it's the virus is in there. It's not like getting rid of a cold or you could take a medicine and it goes away in, yeah. in a little while. <laughs> yeah, it, It's there. And so they have to be able to see how they got in and then figure out how to stop it. And most of the time, it's um, somebody has clicked on something that they received or a little pop-up box that pops up while you're on the computer. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, you've let them in. And that's where that training comes in is to make sure, you know, nobody is clicking on those pop-ups when you're on your computer. Well, what about... The whole, I mean, you've got people captive in a office right. for eight hours or so. They need right. to check their email, personal email. So is right. it only on their device? And what if their device is hooked up to the Wi-Fi? Um, the, not, not the patient's Wi-Fi, but the internal Wi-Fi. I mean, what there's, I just see so many opportunities uh, for this to go wrong. Can you, can either of you speak to, you know, the 
guidelines we should have in place or are there no-nos that, you know, a right. doctor should insist upon? Well, I, I don't know about insisting upon. I know me personally, I'm cautious if I go somewhere and, you know, it'll pop up on your phone that you've, you've got access to free Wi-Fi. I don't mm -hmm. ever log in. And that's just me personally, because you don't know who's in that system. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in airports all the time. So free Wi-Fi right. is very tempting, but my data is exactly. just fine. I just stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Tracy, you were going to say. The office can set up two different systems for, mm -hmm. you know, the office Wi-Fi and the public Wi-Fi. Some offices like to have Wi-Fi available for their patients and mm -hmm. staff can certainly uh, use that same Wi-Fi for their personal. But to be perfectly frank, I know a lot of offices that probably don't want their staff using their cell phone during hours except when they're on the breaks. Right, right. So, agree. Yeah. And yeah. I wish that was more normal than it is. It's unfortunately, there's a lot of excuses I hear from dentists where, well, you know, it's not much and they're just, you know, they just want to check and make sure their kids are okay. And I just think that that's a slippery slope all around, but you know, sometimes a doctor's the worst yeah. though, let's be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so Teresa, when you have an office on the phone, that's asking, they have a breach maybe their HIPAA trainer is not available or whatever. And they say, okay, now what do I have to do? There's, there's a few steps, right? You have to notify patients or does it depend on the size of the breach? This is where I'm not sure. In, in California, well, it actually, it's for all across the country. It doesn't matter the size of the breach. Size matters in determining whether you have to notify the media. Okay. Oh, geez. Okay. So if it's, 500 or more individuals who have been impacted by the breach, then you must notify the media and there's a timeline. That's you know. most offices. Yes. Oh no. <laughs> well, sometimes you get, they, some offices do have small breaches, like a single breach where a patient and, and it's not a data breach, but it's simply, you know, a patient walked out with another patient's walkout statement. Oh, I see. That's okay. a breach. Okay. I see. <laughs> so that's a single incident of a breach, which is still reportable mm -hmm. to OCR. Uh, but if data breaches, yes, a lot of them do impact more than 500 individuals. So a baby breach is what we want. We don't want the, the yeah. data breach. <laughs> okay. So large data breach is usually five, over 500. So when, uh, when that occurs and after you've notified IT and if you have cybersecurity insurance, mm -hmm. those folks, uh, then you start putting together, you know, if you don't have it elsewhere, the information on the patients whose information was affected, maybe Jeez. there is a backup drive that mm -hmm. has that information. You try and compose that. I think parallel to notifying that you're trying to rebuild your schedule, right? Right. Because you're not using your, your system. Who do you recall that's coming in this week to be <laughs> treated? So you've got multiple <laughs> things going on. One of which is just preparing the mailing list for that breach notification. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, CDA does have a sample breach notification letter because the state of California does require a certain format. Okay. Um, but in general, both the state and OCR require the same type of information in the breach notification letter. And if 
a practice has cyber liability coverage, then uh, that really helps because they can take care of that, both the expense and the process of mailing it out where the office's responsibility is putting together the mailing list. So I remember talking to a lady and she was she was cracking me up because she said for three weeks after the breach, because they decided not to pay. And so they were rebuilding their schedule, just like they said. So they they called the lab and found out all the cases they'd sent there. What was the you know, did they have they wanted to confirm lab dates and then they could kind of rebuild there. And then they said every day was just a surprise. And they just, you know, everybody that came in, they were like, so good to see you. And, you know, and they talked about it, of course, but they were saying, you know, we just didn't know who was coming through the door. And they they had a good attitude about it. That would really stress me out. But they had a really good attitude. But right. they said for about three or four weeks on the doctor side, it was just, you know, a surprise. And um, they were they had faith that they had scheduled the hygiene side well enough where it wouldn't be such a disaster um, you know, with over, you know, running over time, but this, they just didn't know who was coming in on the restorative side. And so it was, it was fun. It was like, you know, do you feel like a crown today? Cause that's what you're getting. <laughs> it was kind of funny, but so you're right though. You have to rebuild everything. And the manager I bet is just busy for the next little bit going through the checklists of what to do. And Colette, do you have also checklists for them to do to make sure that they are compliant with OCR and HIPAA? Well, we do have a checklist for, uh, it's a data breach notification checklist. So it includes, you know, the letter, who you have to notify, because as I mentioned, if it's 500 or more, you do have to notify the local media. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know early on when that requirement went in place, people are sort of like the media, we have to tell them. I could tell you the media gets these notices a lot. Oh, so they're <laughs> so, not really concerned. <laughs> not really. Not unless it's a huge one. Like if it's a huge health system or something that okay. is affected, would it actually make it in the news? But, okay. um, you I, know, a dental practice, not likely. Yeah. I mean, unless it was really salacious, right? So, oh. <laughs> and then they realize they have to report to HIPAA, OCR, Media. Oh my goodness. Um, do you have checklists then for them, Colette and, and Teresa too? Do you have checklists for them to go through that whole process? Yes, there is a, a checklist of things that need to be done. And we work with the insureds or the doctors in getting that information to them and getting that process started. Okay. And Teresa, you have some, CDA has some checklists? CDA does have a checklist. It's to ensure they meet the regulatory requirements of who they notify, what has to be in the notification notice that goes out to Mm -hmm. those affected. So fairly simple to to follow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're trying to kind of take the the terror out of it, right? So, um, So let's talk about the cost of some sort of, of, of this breach? I mean, what is the average cost of a breach in healthcare? And, you know, how often, how often are we seeing this? It's seen often and not just in healthcare. It, okay. It's a lot of companies that are impacted by this. The, um, the average cost for an incident in healthcare is about $10 million Ugh. per incident. So Ugh. obviously that's more of the big, hospital and healthcare systems being impacted, but it is the highest of all the industries. When you compare healthcare 
to the financial industry. Financial industry is almost $6 million per incident, mm. where, you know, healthcare, as I said, was about $10 million per incident. So Goodness. it's very expensive. Um, and it probably speaks to the fact that healthcare in general probably is not as well prepared as they should be. Healthcare, a lot of healthcare systems are not well financed. They don't have a lot of money to spend on information systems, mm -hmm. infrastructure, and cybersecurity. They sort of have to pick and choose where they're going to spend their money on. And that's part of the reason why the cost of a breach is so high in healthcare. There's a myth out there, um, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. I I think it seems to be a myth, just because I haven't heard otherwise. Please tell me if I'm wrong. That cloud software is more protected than server-based practice management software. I'm talking about practice management-based softwares here, um, and that tends to be a something that you know I hear when a new doctor is ready to select their software. They're thinking, well, I want to avoid the whole cost of servers and equipment, obviously, but also I think it's safer. And I don't know if it is or not. Do you see breaches on both server-based and cloud software? I haven't. I don't know about Colette. And I, I would say for the cloud-based systems, certainly there's more support available, more tech support for those cloud-based systems where the dentists who had their server you know, right there physically in their office mm -hmm. would have to rely on the outside IT vendor and other servers to, you know, help them with the running of the system. Oh, excellent so, point. Okay. So um, you could get it, you could get help faster if you were all online versus, yeah, waiting for your, your IT company who's, you know, right. already got five service calls right. that day. But I, I've seen also though, folks who point out, well, you know, how good is your internet in your community? You know, how fast can things download to your office from mm -hmm. a cloud-based system? So there are other factors involved. And by no means, I'm an expert <laughs> in, <laughs> in things IT. It just happens, I, I just read on this stuff. So you just have to, when it comes to making a decision, you know, the dentist has to determine what's comfortable for them and what works for the situation that they're they're in. Any any feedback on that, Colette? Well, if you are going to have a backup either on a server that you take, not a server that you take home, but the backup device or the cloud, you should also be making sure that when it's backing up, the information is correct. Because if something were to happen and the information you're backing up isn't backing up, then you're even at more of a loss. Okay, so tell me how I'm supposed to do that then. Imagine that I'm a brand new office manager and I'm pretty sure my doctor hasn't considered any of this. So right. how am I supposed to do that? Well, you're supposed to open it up like you would open up any other file and make sure that that information in there is correct. Almost like do a restore to see if it's correct. accurate. Okay. Well, not do a restore, but you should be able to access that information to make sure it's correct. Okay. okay. Or that it's even backing up because sometimes it's limited. Well, I've pushed the button to back up. Well, even though you push the button, it doesn't mean it's actually backing up. Oh, 
you're breaking my heart. I like just pushing I know. A I wish I had better news. <laughs> <laughs> we all like, like that. that. Push the button that's... and it works. <laughs> yeah, that's why they call it an easy button. Now you're, right? you're killing me. Now it's the I got a check button. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, so. <laughs> well, so are they taking, so they're taking patient data, obviously, but are they taking right. images? Are they, I mean, what else are they taking from the software? Is it pretty much grab and go and we'll just filter through this later? It could be. Well, they'll, yeah, I, they could. They don't know what they have. So right. um, when a, a breach occurs or when, you know, someone recognizes that some type of incident occurred with the system, the forensics folks will take a look at it and determine whether or not information was actually removed mm -hmm. or if it was just locked and locked down so that no one can access it. So there's a difference, especially in terms of breach notification, because if it's just, if it's exfiltrated, definitely a breach. But if it's blocked and locked down for a period of time where you, the dentist, cannot even access it, even that is, you know, considered to be a breach. Oh, but if it's for, you know, less than a day or a few hours and you're able to, say, completely restore a backup and has everything in your, um, you know, whatever you do with the information is not impaired in any way, then that would not be considered um, a, a breach, right? Because you're able to get the information. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a fully restored backup. You can verify that um, and you're ready to go. It hasn't impacted your ability to do your work. And you know for sure because of the forensics investigation that they were not able to remove the information from the server or wherever it was stored. But you have to make sure you have that verified. Like you can't just guess Correct. that. Yeah. Well, I don't think they got it. You have to have it verified. Right. Okay. It has to be verified um, and keep documentation on it. Is that a separate company than the IT company? No, it could be the same IT company. Okay. And then, uh, so what, what about this? So impaired, you were talking about the business being impaired. Is there business interruption insurance that would cover this? I mean, does where does this come into play with? the the coverage that TDIC would offer because I'm sure some people are thinking why do I need insurance on this is it not covered under my business insurance no it's separate it would have to be under a cyber policy okay all right yes. so if somebody calls you and has a breach they're going to get not so wonderful news because they think that they're covered correct correct wow. without a cyber policy because it's specific mm -hmm. to that need Okay. And so what about business interruption? Is that something that can be recouped or at least compensated? Possibly under a cyber policy, yes. Okay. And then yeah. Teresa and I were talking uh, during a break that it would even cover like the cost of mailings, like even stamps and all yes. that, that type of thing. Okay. The printing of the letters, the envelope, everything. Yes. Which brought me back in time because I don't know when the last time I've stamped an envelope is. So I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know how to do that anymore. I think I'll have to be taught all over again. <laughs> so, so is there, I'm really fascinated with this vishing that you were talking about, Teresa. So this is somebody who are, are they faking the voice or it's somebody that just sounds like, like they're calling and they know everything they need to say. So they're impersonating or is it a fake voice? like an AI generated voice. No, they're impersonating the person 
Um, they basically got some basic information from the person on social media. Mm-hmm. You know how sometimes security questions ask very basic mm-hmm. questions yeah. about what high school you went to, mm-hmm. uh, where you were born, that sort of thing. And some folks overshare on social media, <laughs> right? So it's kind of easy to pick up some of the answers to those security questions by looking at a person's social media account. So so they pretend to be someone over the phone with, you know, someone else. And by providing some of the key information mm-hmm. that was picked up from the social media account, they're able to gain access and then possibly change a password. So this is not so much cybersecurity, but you may know, Teresa, since this is kind of your your area, what about the emails and calls that I get from vendors saying that there's an invoice due and they're hoping to catch people, um, you know, that that aren't really paying attention to invoices and they pay it. Is that still a big problem? Because I know I I know here in Virginia, every once in a while, like I'll get a mass alert from the VDA, you know, be careful. This is going on. This is going on. Is that still like pretty common that you guys get complaints about that? I We do. We do get complaints. Um, although the the type of scam we get here more about now are actually uh, phone calls and emails from uh, those pretending to be uh, from the dental board or the DEA. Okay. So talk to me about that. What do they want with from those entities? What are they looking for? So they ask a lot of questions of the dentists, like, and they say, well, you know, we're doing this investigation if you don't answer our questions. And a lot of the responses are, you know, information that's already public for the dentist. We don't, we don't know that they've asked for money, but, and, and some are very good about saying, you know, I need to check you out. Can you give me a phone number that I could call back? And Mm -hmm. because that's what we recommend and, you know, it doesn't, they'll, you know, hang up and try and dial the dental board to find out if it's legit. And what we've been saying, what the dental board's been saying is the dental board will not call you unless you call them. (laughs) Well, nobody wants to call them. (laughs) I mean, they're they're probably very lovely people, but nobody's calling them. I generally say, you know, it's much better to contact the dental board by emailing them rather than to leave a voicemail for the board. But uh, yes, from the DEA as well, you know, it's the DEA and the dental board. Um, Someone's doing, some agency is doing an investigation on the dentist and Mm -hmm. it scares the dentist enough that they, you know, well, that they is the provide answers to questions. That's and, the problem. It's a, it's yeah. the fear because you you know you all you have to do is just say the dental board, and you know people are terrified already. So yeah. I I can totally understand that. It's um, unfortunate. We've had to put out at least two or three alerts a year the last couple of years because wow. of these um, scams. Okay. So yeah, and yeah, I, not cybersecurity related, but it, it is a scam that kind of works like phishing mm-hmm. where they're working on your emotions and human yeah. behavior and scaring you into taking some action. Well, it's like the, the, uh, the old, you know, it's like the godfather of phishing is the, um, the old, <laughs> the invoice that says, you know, you're overdue and it, you send it to this mailing address that, 
you know, or you, you do a, a phone call, or you call it with a credit card number because you're overdue. So you call with a credit card number. And I have a few people I know that have been taken by that. And all right. So now, okay. So now that we have all these scenarios that have gone through, now I want to implement some sort of training program in my office because maybe HIPAA was just something we just signed an attestation once a year. We never went through training or anything like that. Right. Um, are there are there vendors? Are there, are there trainers from TDIC? Are there trainers from CDA? You know, where can I get a good qualified HIPAA trainer to come in and do this for our office? And is it okay to do it online? I mean, how how do we how do we do this? It doesn't have to be necessarily a, a HIPAA training for simple cybersecurity, you know, practices, some mm-hmm. good cybersecurity practices. There's a sort of new industry government partnership that put together a program known as the 405D okay. program. And you could find them at 405d.hhs.gov. And they have training programs, both video and aids that you could put up on the wall, um, specifically on cybersecurity and keeping information systems secure. Okay. So it's not specifically on HIPAA because HIPAA is much bigger than mm-hmm. cybersecurity. Uh, HIPAA entails, it's, it's really has a lot of layers, but if we're just talking cybersecurity awareness and um, protecting information systems, 405D program is very good. They're brand new. Uh, they put out a lot of stuff this month in October, since it is cybersecurity month okay. and it's free. Okay. Oh, right? free is good. That, how can I people mean, argue with we that? We know dentists like free. <laughs> so Who doesn't I, like I, free? No kidding. Lots of people like, like free, but mm-hmm. that I've seen the videos. It's a, it, They're good. They're quality. And I will so. link that in the show notes. Um, so don't worry about having to pull over to the side of the road and write that down. I will make sure that that's linked. So Colette, do you have resources then or preferred vendors that you work with? No, we don't. We don't have okay. a, um, a list of preferred vendors. Is it a requirement of being insured by you to go through training oh. to hold a policy, to have a policy through you? Do you require that as part of the policy? Oh, no, no. Okay. Oh, maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should. That um, would be it, up to the Department of Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know this isn't uh, necessarily cybersecurity, but the whole um, patient access, I mean, we're talking about patient information being accessed right. un, you know, unwanted, but there's a lot of legislation that's getting a lot of attention um, where patients are, sh- should be able to access their own records. How, I don't, I'm going to ask you how, where do you think patients are of this? I think I know the answer, Teresa, but how, how do you propose getting ready for these, these requests from patients? How do you propose for your offices to do that? Well, it's already a requirement under the HIPAA privacy rule. Okay. So see, that's something that, that I think a lot of people are going to go, what? <laughs> yes. It's, it's already a requirement under the HIPAA privacy rule. Um, it's been a long time requirement in California, even before HIPAA came on board, that patients have a right to access the records. Now, there there is another law that uh, became effective in the last few years um, 
It has to do with the accessibility of a patient's electronic information. Mm -hmm. So patients have a right to access their electronic information if they have the ability. The government is promoting the portability of that information. And a lot of healthcare systems have implemented patient portals, for example. So one of the things is that, you know, patients should be able to access their information through those portals mm -hmm. and not have to pay to access that. Also, there are, you know, different software and devices that are supposed to interact with like your, your patient record. This is more on the medical side, not mm -hmm. so much on the dental side, but they're trying to to share information mm -hmm. more. And that's why the laws have kind of opened up and say, well, you know, uh, if you're doing a an app, a program mm -hmm. that allows your app to talk to your doctor's software, then you have to allow that app access so the patient can obtain their information. So one thing I have noticed working with so many different dental softwares is that when you get the data from them, when they give you their export, it, it's not all in the same language. They're very different languages. And so, mm -hmm. you know, being able to get my, you know, number one selling software, getting my information from there, then I've got to go over here and get my information from the patient newsletter or the patient communication software. It's, it just seems a little bit very patch patch at this point. And so I'm hoping the industry can kind of fix that before, you know, if any of you watch Lord of the Rings, the ISORON sees everything, right? And before the ISORON like turns its laser view onto dentistry and is like, you all should be past this point by now. I'm hoping that we get there sooner than, than later, because I don't want to be the, at the, I don't want to draw any governmental attention. That's like the goal in life, right? Do not right. draw attention. <laughs> from the government. <laughs> so um, I think I think that's something that when I do have these little conversations, it's not in my classes or anything, but these little conversations, doctors are thinking, you know, and I've heard this, I'm never going to be able to comply with this because the format is just very different, the, the data. And I don't have an app for my patients and I don't have a portal for my patients. And I, I think that's the next- They're not required to at well, this time. I think that's the next fear-mongering conversation right. that a lot of vendors are going to have. And, you know, I've, I've, I hear the pros and cons and I get the pros, but my goodness, when you have a product to sell, all of a sudden the con is huge and it becomes, you know, problematic. So I, I can imagine both of you two are going to get super calls about that, <laughs> like lots of calls about that. Um, are you dealing with any big attacks right now? Is there anything that you've been any big cases that have come up or, and actually, let me ask this question. So okay. these cases that you're getting calls on both of you, of course, no names involved or anything, but what is the average time to, you know, from point of discovery of a breach to, you know, notification and then kind of a sigh of relief that maybe we're past the, the danger point. How, how long of a time period is there? Well, that depends on how quickly the doctor reports a claim. Okay how the process okay. starts. Uh, a lot of times they're more concerned about getting to their data and working with their IT person first and foremost. 
which is a good thing to do. It's like, if your house is on fire, you call the fire department first, you know, before (laughs) calling your insurance company, but definitely do call them sooner rather than later. (laughs) Right. Like not when you're done rebuilding, right? Right. (laughs) Exactly. I gotcha. Exactly. I gotcha. Well, when, when somebody calls you, Teresa, when one of your constituents calls you, is there like, do you know you're going to be hearing from this person for a certain period of time because it's, it's just a timeline? Not really. Really. Okay. Uh, because we're not involved on the the restore side of it, we help them in terms of this is what you have to do, this is what you're required to do. Mm-hmm. But on restoring their systems back, a lot of that depends on their situation and, and what occurred. Just reading news articles for some larger healthcare organizations, it could take as long as a year or more. Goodness. Uh, for them to get back up fully mm-hmm. uh, to their systems are probably much less for a, a dental practice, but it is really dependent on that dental practice's situation at the time the incident mm-hmm. occurred. And I'm going to guess that you recommend, both of you recommend having levels of software access um, like, like, of course, the owner, maybe even the manager has complete levels of access to the practice management software. And then there's permissions. Um, yes. So you recommend permissions-based access well, to the software. Well, it's a requirement under HIPAA. Now, see, you're Again, educating another, me. Okay, see, this As is I good. said, HIPAA is huge. There's a yeah. lot. And some of these things that are, you know, you think they're part of HIPAA, that a lot of the cybersecurity things are part of HIPAA. So yes. Okay. So here's, so I, I can just tell you from, from having worked in, in certain offices, you know, there's pretty much one master permissions for the owner and the manager, and then everybody else has like just one level below, like, you know, just a little bit less, but pretty much everybody has the same access. Um, does that, does that take the box or should it be based on their actual job duties? Or is that outside of the scope of what we're talking about today? Yeah. I mean, each office has to make that determination. I okay. mean, you could see that would happen at a very, very small office. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a larger office and actual departments, it could be that, I mean, I can't see why, you know, hygienists would need access to the financial part of the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, unless I agree. they're working both sides of it. So, yeah, um, it really needs to be based on their job description and then they're provided access to that section of the system. Well, and I know that it's a big pain, people, but, you know, I, I remember one office where they had a huge embezzlement issue and they didn't have permissions. Everybody had open access and they ran the audit trail and it was so cumbersome to go through because everything was being tracked and it was like a free for all. And the only way they were able to find out who it was, was uh, by the one the there were four people in the office counting the doctor. Um, one had gone out of town. The other one actually had a second job and she could prove that she was at another job. So it only left the one. And so that was their process of elimination. And from that point on, there's so many trust issues now with the the remaining girls that were accused. They're now, you know, they're going to be using passwords forever. They're not getting stuck like this again. But with such a small office, there was this, oh my gosh, I work 
side by side with this person and they were doing this all this time and I had no idea. So, you know, you don't want to take the blame for somebody else doing some shady stuff. So definitely put that into place. And doctors, you should definitely be looking at the audit trails and running reports and staying on top of that. Um, And it is, I'm just fascinated that our little industry has become a target. You know, I, I just always think of ransomware is big hospital systems and, you know, big like banks like JP Morgan or something. I don't think of it as, you know, Dr. Smith down the street as getting an attack. In my classes, I've heard anywhere from 10,000 to 40,000 per incident is the ransom that they're, they're looking mm-hmm. for. Um, is that about the, the range that you're seeing? Have you seen an upper where you're like, whoa, that's ridiculous. Have you seen a real high dollar amount? I have not seen a real high dollar amount, um, low enough, but I mean, it's still a lot of money. Oh, for sure. Um, Especially for a practice. And if, you know, you just don't have that cash laying around to pay it Mm -hmm. and it's whether do you pay it or do you not? And in Bitcoin, like I wouldn't even know how to get Bitcoin. Right. I don't even know. Like, where, what, what? Where's the Bitcoin store? I don't know how to get that. <laughs> is that is that how they they ask for it in Bitcoin? Because it's untraceable. Is that the reason? Yes, it's untraceable. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now oh, maybe I do need to look into Bitcoin. Jeez, who knows? <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So is there? Um, so we went over a whole bunch of things, but Teresa, is there? Because you talked to so many people about this. We, we want to look out for the phishing. We want to look out for the vishing. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, we want to make sure our passwords are set up. We want to make sure that we're being careful with Wi-Fi and all of that. Do you have any other tips that, you know, that you just think when you hear it, you think, oh, man, if they had just known that, it would have saved them so many troubles. The only other one I can think of is, you know, make sure your software is up to date. Okay. You know, yes. check for that regularly or install auto update on your system for any software in your system because are you talking about the, that includes security patches. You say you're talking about the operating system, operating system, Correct. whatever software. Okay. And practice management systems. Right. Then. Okay. Yes. So that's going to hurt a lot of people because there are, I know that there are certain softwares where people wait to, to do updates because they want to make sure all the kinks are worked out. Yeah. I, I yeah. think, yeah. yeah, I think it depends on whether, you know, part of the update has a security patch. On okay. It. Yeah, that we definitely have to get that going. Yeah. So right. call it any last words of wisdom uh, for these people. Training and just take your time before you click on something. Actually, truly read it if somebody's looking for money. So like the, the person who's stuck overseas and correct for help <laughs> or even that i mean it does happen it may be a vendor that you work with that their system has been hacked and you've got mm-hmm. an email saying that there's an invoice due and you're like wait a second i thought all our invoices were up to date instead of opening oh, that attachment make the phone call to that person and ask you know it's just a you know a couple of minutes to make that phone call what about secure email? Does secure email help to isolate these types of issues? I mean, will they scan it? I know a lot of the larger companies I've worked with, like you have to, you have to have a pristine email to make it through their filters. Is that something right. that dental offices should, should look into as well? They could look in to see, okay. to see what's going on, but always double check before you open, especially if mm-hmm. it's coming from outside the company. Okay. All right. Teresa, same thing, secure email probably look into it or nice to have look into it. Talk to your it person about it. 
Okay. Well, I hope this makes a lot of you want to call your IT person and find out exactly, you know, what kind of support and pro, you know, whole bundle that you have. And as far as cyber attack um, or cybersecurity a policy, how quickly can they get one in place? Oh, that's a that's an underwriting uh, question because um, mm-hmm. there's an application that needs to be completed, and then that okay. review process gone through. Okay, but, so could you even like look at an office and go, no, no, we need training first before we <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> before we can even insure you. <laughs> like, no, this is you're a hot mess. We can't touch this. Like, no, that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. But the training is is very, very important. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have your uh, information that's going to be in the show notes. Um, okay. Teresa, you do uh, education or, or CDA puts out education all of the time um, so they can, even if they're not a member dentist, uh, they can certainly go over to the website and, and see if there's some public facing information from you. Um, our our information uh, that we have is actually for members, so okay. they would have to log in with that membership information. I do presentations at CDA Presents, okay, um, which is open to non-members. Um, and yeah, as I mentioned earlier, there's a webinar, but I believe that's a, a member webinar as well. Oh, see, look at her. She's teasing us. I'm all the way in Virginia, Teresa. What am I going to do? <laughs> and then Colette, how can they find out more information about your company and their services? Um, to contact TDIC directly and we'll okay. be able to assist. TDIC.org? Is that right? uh, dot com. Dot com. Okay. Just want to make sure. And like I said, all of that is going to be in the show notes. Um, I will need to go back to my email and make sure that uh, I'm pretty sure that it came from Thor.com, but Chris Hemsworth, I think that's a bad email. (laughs) I need to go double check that. (laughs) I'm very disappointed now, but you know, these things happen. So uh, ladies, I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's been, it's been a pleasure and so enlightening. I mean, I learn something new every day. Um, when we have experts like yourselves on. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for for having having me, Teresa. Absolutely. And dear listeners, as always, I appreciate that you spend your time with me. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn. 